Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly update for the week ending 12th of May, 2023. To protect supplies for industry and essential services, SOS, switch off something and help save electricity. For example, this lounge is using 2,600 watts. Switch off this light and already you've saved 100 watts. Don't leave the TV on if nobody's watching and your score's down to 2,350. And if you possibly can, switch off a bar on the fire. That makes a big difference. Switch off something now. That all sounds a little Victorian these days, doesn't it? But in late 1973, when Ted Heath's government was locked in dispute with the coal miners and the Arab-Israeli war brought about soaring oil prices, efforts to prolong the life of the available fuel stocks led to campaigns like this one to ask people to conserve electricity. Michael, do you remember the three-day week? Most certainly do. I remember I have a vivid memory of one of my mum's brothers visiting and he was leaving and we were all saying cheerio. And in the darkness, he gave me a slapping big kiss on the lips thinking it was my mum. So it was that dark. <laughs> he never recovered, I can uh, tell No, neither did you, I imagine. No. Well, I can remember my dad doing three 14-hour days during the week. You know, he was actually working more hours than in a normal week if he didn't count the overtime. Well, in our Green Edge post this week, we're writing about what's being done to reduce electricity demand in today's world. Reduction in demand is certainly on the government agenda, and one of the key areas for this is around demand-side flexibility, which refers to the ability of consumers to adjust their energy demand in response to changes in energy supply, grid conditions, or market signals. We've been looking at the National Grid Electricity System Operators, that's ESO's Demand Flexibility Service, or DFS, which was trialled for the first time last winter and is now gearing up with a series of workshops and consultations for next winter. In its June 2022 progress report to Parliament, the Climate Change Commission did seem reasonably happy with the way this is all going, pointing to the Smart Systems and Flexibility Plan and the Energy Digitalization Strategy, both of which were published, together with the progress on implementing half-hourly settlements by 2025 to enable smart tariffs and the setting of smart meter installation targets. But our observation in the post is that while we can read much about plans for increasing supply of energy, there's actually not that much around regarding true reduction in demand. Michael, would you say that's a fair statement? I think it is a fair statement, and I'd also extend it by talking about distributed energy resource integration, which is where the devices in the home, both generating, consuming, and also storage, can be accessed and used as part of the overall energy supply system. My concern would be that we're locking ourselves into one form of efficiency, but possibly locking out other forms of efficiency across the whole energy generation system and demand system. Now, going back to that old public information film we played at the beginning of this podcast, it was interesting to note that 1970s living room was using 2.6 kilowatts of electricity. It would have been nice to give the equivalent numbers for today, but alas, we couldn't find any readily to hand. Perhaps someone among our listeners might be able to help us out here. But we did find an interesting study by U-Switch that told us that back in 1970, the cost of your gas and electricity would have accounted for around 8% of the average UK salary, while in 2020, it was actually slightly less at around 7.7%. Now, that's obviously gone up recently, but it does tend to reflect the fact 
that while we have many more electrical devices around these days, they're much more efficient. But nevertheless, there are going to be step changes in electricity demand for domestic properties over the next few years, Michael. Most certainly, if you just take heat pumps and if you just take how we charge our cars at home, the demand of electricity is going to jump and therefore the cabling requirements and the distribution of that energy is jumping. Hence, one of the challenges to the national grid is actually having a grid that can actually take all that on board and move electricity from different start points, i.e. offshore wind and onshore wind and solar, to the points of consumption, which are also jumping. So it is very complex and you are getting a, a real bit of a worry that rate of change is not great enough to meet that. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, ESO is doing workshops and consultations over the summer for next year's Demand Flexibility Service. And I noted from ESO's website that over 30 electricity providers around the country have been approved to provide access to the service. And this includes big players like British Gas, EDF, Eon Next, Octopus and Ovo Energy. But one of the key questions is why people would sign up to use the service, especially given the chatter in the media around the dark side of smart meters, which the service service relies on. Financial incentives for reduced usage at peak times is one reason, but the flip side of this is that higher tariffs might be charged at other times. Now, ESO is obviously thinking about this, and here's a clip from the workshops they've been doing during a Q&A session between ESO's team leader, Richard Hansen, and Rob Westman-Cote, who is one of the team's senior strategy analysts. The first question from Richard was about what some of the transmission system operators or TSOs might be doing around non-financial incentives. Other TSOs have pursued that sort of non-payment routes. In general, they've focused on sort of other areas that consumers value. So the EcoWatt app, uh, taking the example from RTE in France, publicised the level of carbon intensity on the grid, sort of environmental angle on if you as an end consumer reduce your electricity consumptions in these periods, then you can help out environmentally rather than financially. And then has also indicated sort of times of proper system stress. And I suppose that sort of greater good aspect of helping out with system security because the end consumer themselves feel that it's the right thing to do for them rather than because they necessarily need a financial reward in order to do so. More about being an informed and consumer than anything else. During the first of the live events, looking at BBC News running a sort of live cast of are you getting involved? There were quite a lot of people in there that were saying, actually, yeah, if it helps to avoid running power station that has really high CO2 emissions, then I'm all in. Do you think that incentivising to charge up home battery systems before DFS so consumers can maximise the DFS periods. One of the key challenges around the demand flexibility service is what we want to know is how much less people use than they would otherwise have used if DFS didn't exist. We are aware and people have raised to us uh, some of the perverse incentives around the within-day adjustments, around the predictability of when DFS will be needed and the fact that people can take advantage of that. So one of the things that we'd like suggestions on is whether there's alternative ways of doing the baselining so that we can avoid that, whether there's different approaches that you can take, whether there are other rules that we can put in place that help to minimise or eliminate those sorts of incentives. So, Michael, that second question about battery charging is an interesting one. It is. And if people can remember back, we did post 
on some work done up in Liverpool, where they are going for several very significant green energy projects. And the joke was going on, they'll have to charge their cars when the tide is coming in or going out, depending which generates the most electricity. But it raised the point that you cannot have people charging their cars every night, all of the time. It means people have to really think about that and change their behaviour about their charge. And if they don't want to change their behavior, the smart meter will kick in and do it for you. And in some cases, that smart meter will be saying, you've already got too much electricity. I'd like to borrow a piece and put it back into the grid. And so where cars become part of the supply system. And a reminder that you can find this week's post rather obscurely titled The Forgotten Pleasure of the Mixed Grill. Well, it made sense to us at least on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google, and Amazon. Now, you've been talking to the Serial SIP team, Michael. We have in several guises. We are both on the platform speaking and also in the audience in the small groups. Now, this was an event put together by Luke McCarthy who is their green lead on the Surrey County Council. And it was to bring to bear two things. One is the overall LSIP process, which they'll be submitting at the end of May, but in particular, the deep dive they did into green skills and jobs. It's only a two-hour tightly managed meeting to share some of those results that WPI Economics had helped them with using information from Data City and Lightcast. But also, they wanted to do some deeper, deeper dives on the green skill side by getting people to sit down on themed tables. Now, we joined the building construction one and discussed deep retrofitting. And therefore, we got beyond how many people do we need to put in a heat pump. We got into the wider debate about what skill set are really required here, what qualifications are available. And I thought it was a very well run, worthwhile event. And the thing that surprised me, meeting in Woking at eight o'clock in the morning, was the sheer number of employees that turned out wanted to be part of that process. All walking up and walking. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.